My blanket, Charlie Brown. My blanket. I can't be without it. After I gave you my blanket, my life has been a nightmare. Phew. I must have left it at the library. Library? I give him a good luck charm, my beautiful blanket, and he thinks it's at the library. Charlie Brown, I ought to kick you. <laughs> Linus, Linus, speak to me. I'm sure the blanket is at the library. Take old Snoopy with you. He's a hunting dog. He'll... Good grief. Uh... On flight 286 from Dallas to Atlanta, everything was going very smoothly until the pilot's voice came over the intercom. And this is what he said. Those of you on the left side of the plane have probably noticed that one of our engines has failed. Please do not be alarmed. We can still fly on three engines, but we will probably arrive about 15 minutes late. late. A few minutes later, the pilot's calm voice came back on, on the intercom again, and this is what he said. Those of you on the right side of the plane have probably noticed that the second engine has failed. Please do not be alarmed. We can make it on two engines, though we will probably be at least 30 minutes late. A few minutes later, the pilot spoke to the passengers again. It has just come to my attention that a third engine has failed. Please do not be alarmed. We can make it to the airport on only one engine. However, we will probably arrive 45 minutes late. Well, one passenger turned to another and said, Boy, I hope that fourth engine doesn't fail, or we could be up here all night. <laughs> now, you know, a story like that is funny. But if it really happened, no one would be laughing. Because when you're flying, your life depends on those engines working. And even if one stops working, people on the plane start getting nervous. They start getting scared. And life is kind of like that. There are certain things that we depend on. And those things make us feel safe and secure. And as long as we have those things, no problem. We feel confident. But if we lose those things or those things are taken away from us, we get scared. And I'm talking about things like a good job with health insurance, money in the bank, money in our IRA or our 401k account, family. Those are the types of things that give us a sense of security. And when we have those things, everything is good and the future looks bright. We've got a good job, a nice home, a loving family, money in the bank, good health. What else could we need, right? Right. And maybe... Just maybe, we don't even need God, except to get to heaven. But besides that, we really don't need God. We got everything that we need to feel safe and secure. And therein lies the problem. Because nothing in life is certain. In fact, everything that you have could be taken away in a split second. Just read the book of Job. You could lose your job and your financial security is gone just like that. You could be in an accident and your health is gone. Your spouse could go nuts and one day come home and say, I want a divorce. And now all of a sudden, the things that, you, that made you feel safe and secure are now gone. What do you do? What do you do when your life is turned upside down and you no longer have the things that make you feel safe and secure? Well, let's find out what David did. 
Because that's exactly what happened to him. He lost everything. And I mean everything. And things did not turn around very, uh, uh, very shortly. In fact, he lost everything and, and he was that way for 14 years. So let's look at David's life. In fact, let's go back to the very beginning because you have to actually have something before you can lose it. So let's look at what David had and then lost and how he coped with it. David's success started at a very early age. And his career took off like a rocket. As a young teenager, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He took on Goliath when he was 14 years old. And everyone else was afraid of him, yet he won. And because of that victory and a few other battles, King Saul put him in charge of his entire army. And David never lost a battle as the leader of Saul's army, which made him very popular among the soldiers and among the people, even more popular than Saul. And that's when the trouble started. And that's when everything that he had attained was taken away from him. He lost his position in the king's army. He lost his wife. He lost his mentor and longtime counselor, Samuel. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. And he lost his self-respect. And to make things even worse, David had done nothing wrong. So let's take a closer look at everything that David lost. First of all, he lost his job and the prestigious position that came with it. Now, what's funny is that when David first came on the scene, no one knew who he was. In fact, when he slew Goliath, Saul had to ask him, who are you? Look with me, if you would, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 55 through 58, and I want to show you how unknown David was to all of the leaders of Israel and to everyone except his family. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, talking about Goliath, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. He didn't even know where the kid lived. So David went from being this obscure shepherd to the hero of Israel all in one day. One day. So Saul placed him in a leadership position. Now you need to understand he's only 14 years old. So Saul is going to bring him in, but he's not going to be put in as the commander yet. First, he's put in to his staff. He's put in an administrative position. So at 14 years old, he's in the kingdom. And he's working on staff with Saul. And whatever he was sent to do, he did it with flying colors. So, so well that Saul decided when he turned about 18 years old to make him a commander in his army. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. So David was a young guy on the fast track to success. And it seemed like everything that he did turned to gold. So Saul promoted David to the highest position in his army. He was actually a five-star general, if you want to think of it in those terms. And David excelled in that position too. And that's when trouble began to brew. 
David's success started making Saul feel very uncomfortable. Because not only was David a success, but he was now the top man in the, top man in the army. And if he wanted to do a military coup, Saul thought, well, what would stop him? And all of the soldiers, all of the leaders, they loved David, and he's more popular than I am. So Saul became jealous of David and paranoid that David was going to take his place, that David was going to take his military, turn it upon him, and David was going to become the next king. Look at verse number 29. Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. It was at that point that Saul realized, I need to take him down. Now, when I say he realized, I don't mean that he correctly ascertained that. In fact, it was his paranoia that made him think that way. Because David's heart was good. David's heart was very loyal to him. And he would have never turned against Saul. In fact, he never did even when Saul was trying to kill him. So, at the height of David's popularity, as he was climbing the corporate ladder, David lost his position as the top general in Israel's army. Now, the second thing that David lost was his best friend Jonathan and his wife Michael. Now, if you remember the story, Saul wanted to kill David. But both Jonathan and Michael found out about it, and they helped David to escape. In a sense, they were more loyal to David than they were to their own father. Now, Jonathan was Saul's son, and Michael was Saul's daughter. But even they were in danger for helping David. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 30 through 33. And I want you to notice how Saul reacts to his own son. Because Saul becomes so bitter. Saul becomes so paranoid that he even turns against his own family because of David. Notice what happens. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. In other words, intending to kill his own son. So at last... Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Now, look at 1 Samuel chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 through 12. And I'm going to also read verse number 17. And we're going to find out that even Michael, who was Saul's own daughter, and David's wife, who was given to him because he had done everything that Saul had wanted him to do. Even she had to put her life at risk to help David escape from her own father. Look at verses 11 through 12. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. Now jump down to verse 17. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded to Michael. I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me. If I didn't help him. So Michael actually had to lie to her own father because she understood that Saul was so obsessed with killing David that anyone that helped him, anyone, including his own family, would be put to death. So in order to protect the people that he loved, David had to flee and he had to leave his best friend Jonathan and he had to leave his wife Michael behind. So technically he lost his wife and he lost his best friend at the same time. The third thing that David lost was his self-respect. 
We've all seen the movie The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. It was a very good movie. But the truth of the matter is, it's fiction. Well, David was a real-life fugitive on the run. But eventually, David ran out of places to hide in Israel. And Saul started closing in on him. Because wherever David went, Saul had spies. Saul became very, very wise, and he realized that the people loved him. So what he did is he took the people who were loyal to him, and he placed them throughout Israel, and he gave them one job. And that one job was, if David comes, you send a message to me so that I can find him and I can kill him. So Saul started closing in on him, which meant that David was forced out of Israel and into the territory of the Philistines. And just to show you how desperate David had become, he eventually went to Gath, which was where Goliath was from. And to make things worse, worse, David was recognized as soon as he went into the city of Gath. David did not realize how popular he was. He didn't realize how famous he was. He knew that he would be recognized in Israel. Everyone knew who David was. He was the one who slew Goliath as a 14-year-old boy. He's the one that Saul gave these different jobs to do, and he turned everything into gold. He's the one that became the top commander in the army, and he's pushed everyone back, and he's never lost a battle. And so when David finally has to run, and he has no place to hide in Israel, he finally goes to Gath, and the one thing that he doesn't realize actually happens as soon as he goes into the city people recognize that's David that's the commander or was the commander of Israel's army so immediately David was in danger and David had to pretend that he was insane turn with me if you would to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21 verse number 13 so David pretended to be insane in their presence And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, at this point, David has hit an all-time low. This is the guy who slew Goliath. This is the guy who was the top man man in Israel's army. He was a household name. He was married to the king's daughter, and he was best friend to the king's son. And now... He's having to act like a madman. He's having to act like he's insane. He has mental problems just to stay alive. Now, people, it doesn't get much lower than that. So, all in all, David lost his job, his powerful position, his best friend, his wife, and now he's lost his personal dignity. So, how did David do it? How did David cope When all of these horrible things happened, because when it started going downhill, it was like a snowball. It was one thing after another. So it didn't just happen over two or three year period. Man, it happened all at once. So how did he cope with this? Well, the first thing that David learned was to take one day at a time. That's right. David learned to take just one day at a time. And people, that's hard to do. Because every one of us wants to know, what does the future hold? And that's why we get a sense of security from having a good job with health insurance, a nice home, and money in the bank. Those things make us feel like we don't have to worry about tomorrow. And that's why those things give us a sense of security. But it's also a false sense of security because the truth is those things can be taken away in a New York second. 
Sometimes we think that when we accumulate all of these material things, we've got a great job, we, we have great insurance, we've got money in the bank, we've got money in our IRA, we've got it in our 401k. Hey, everything is going great. I know that tomorrow is secure. We don't realize there is nothing certain in this life. And it can all be taken away in a New York second. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 12. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. One of my math professors at Northeastern State University, his family was all in a van. He wasn't in the van with him, but his wife was, all of his kids and grandkids. And they had an automobile accident and every one of them died. Lost his entire family one day. I was talking to another person who had worked 30 years to build up their retirement. They had enough that they thought was uh, more than enough to be able to retire on. But they made a mistake. They kept everything in their mutual funds, didn't put anything in bonds. And then, of course, we know what happened in the last two and a half years. He lost over 65% of the money that he'd saved over 30-year period, 30 to 35-year period. He's back at work, having to work again. It happened just like that. So when David lost everything, he learned to take just one day at a time. And that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse number 34. It says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you know what Jesus was trying to tell us? He was telling us to concentrate on today. He wasn't saying don't plan for tomorrow. I'm not telling you don't plan for tomorrow. It's wise to plan for tomorrow. It's wise to go to school, to get an education, to prepare for the field that you want to go into. It's wise to put money back for your retirement. If you're not doing that, you're foolish. The Bible says you're foolish. But the Bible also tells us that we can do everything right. And David did everything right. And still, things not work out for us. For us to do everything that we know to do, and all of a sudden, tragedy occurs and everything is taken away. So Jesus tells us when we've done all that we can, quit worrying about tomorrow. In other words, don't worry about what might happen in the future. Just take it one day at a time. The second thing that David had to learn was to put his trust in God, not in material things. You see, most of us put our trust in material things instead of God. And we don't realize that until we lose our material things. You know, right now, if you have accumulated quite a bit, you probably enjoy your life tremendously. I know I'm enjoying my life tremendously. And many times we don't even realize that we're not dependent upon God. We're dependent upon ourselves. I go to work. I've made this money. I put money back. I put it in the bank. I put it in my retirement account. I work out so I might have health. And we think we've done all of these things and we don't realize we're not depending upon God until those things are taken away. And once those things are taken away, for the first time we realize, I really wasn't dependent upon God. I was dependent upon my material things. Now, there was a time in the Apostle Paul's life when he lost everything. Yeah, just like David. I tell you, the thing that seems so strange to me, and I don't like to see it, I don't like to read it in the Bible, but it seems that the people who loved God the most are the ones who usually lost everything. 
Now, as a pastor, that's a bad sign. Because I love God. And God, am I going to lose everything? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm supposed to concentrate on today. I'm not to worry about what might happen in the future. But I want you to understand that in the Apostle Paul's life, he was just like David. He lost everything. He was penniless. He was hated by his own people, the Jews. And he was homeless. But I want you to listen to what he wrote. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. It says, we think you ought to know. You know, I'm not trying to drum up sympathy. I'm not trying to get you to feel bad. I'm not trying to get anyone to give me money. But we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In other words, we thought we were going to die. Every one of us had given up all hope. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now, I want to read that last part again because Paul had to learn this. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Now, people, this is something that has to be learned. It doesn't come natural. It's human nature to learn to rely on yourself. No one's going to help you but yourself. Don't look for others to help you. If you want help, you've got to do it yourself. You know, I'm kind of like that. You know, I, I'm good at delegating, and, and, and I believe in handing off responsibility and allowing people to go out and to use their gifts, talents, and abilities. And if they fail, we're there to help them. We put a little net there. But at the same time, I let people run their ministry. I've always done that. But you know, and there are certain things when it comes to my life, I rely on myself. But there have been times when I have been put in a position where I couldn't do it. And no one could help me. At those times in my life, I learned to rely on God, not to rely on myself. I had to do what Paul did. Now, David learned the very same lesson. He learned to put his trust in God instead of material things. Now, I know that David started off trusting God. He had to. That's what gave him the faith to slay Goliath. And yet, when all these great things began happening and he was giving God the glory and the honor, I want you to understand he still realized he had to do it. And so when all those things were taken away, there were times when David felt like God had betrayed him. He felt like God wasn't with him. He felt like God's blessing was taken away. His hand was no longer resting upon his life. But you know what's interesting? When all of those things took place, David realized there's only one person he could rely on, and that was God. And so after running for 14 years. And then when he became king, you need to understand, he didn't become king over all of Israel in the beginning. He only became king of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And of course, the, most of the Levites were there at the time. But the northern tribes stayed loyal to Saul. It wasn't until seven years later that he became the king 
over all of Israel. But when that happened, I want you to notice what he wrote. He looked back at this 14-year period when he was on the run, when he'd lost his job, he'd lost his prestigious position, he'd lost his wife, he'd lost his best friend, he'd lost his mentor and his counselor, and he'd even lost his personal dignity. He looked back at that time, and he said, this is what I learned. And he actually wrote a song about it. In fact, I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. But you can go to the book of Psalms and you'll find this written as a song in the book of Psalms. Here it is. David sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies and from Saul. This is what he sang. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I want you to listen to me. It's going to get rough in America. I know that. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me. I don't know when it's going to happen. It might be in 20 years. It might be in 25 years. Some of you that are older, you probably will never see it happen. But America is going to become more and more immoral. It's going to throw out common sense. It's going to quit blessing Israel. And as a result of that, America is going to fall from its lofty position. I believe that with all my heart. I hate to see it. I say that with a broken heart. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five to ten years. I think it's going to take place over a period of time. But I know this. It's going to happen. And we better learn to take one day at a time and to put our trust in God instead of our material things. Because so many of us as Christians in America have put our trust in the money in the bank, the nice home that we have, our job, the health insurance that it provides, all of those other things instead of depending upon God. But we better learn to put our trust in God and to lean upon Him. Because only God can provide the security and the safety that we want so badly. God is our rock. And I believe America is going to have to learn that. It's interesting. But almost every nation on the planet has condemned Israel for the flotilla. South America actually pulled their ambassador away. China, who has the worst human rights history, they have condemned Israel and for what they've done. And I'll be honest with you, even though America supported it, they have not been verbal about it. In fact, our president actually dissed their prime minister. When he came, he refused to eat with him and went and ate with his family. That's never been done in America. People, I'm here to tell you, those who bless Israel will be blessed by God. Those who do not bless Israel but curse him will be cursed. The Bible tells us that. I believe that what we do in the next two to four years will tell us how fast our downfall will come. I hope and I pray that it's 20 to 25 years from now. But we play a big role in that. But if it comes, I want you to understand. Our trust, our faith should be in God, not in our material things. I'm just putting this out here because 
It could get rough in America, and we need to be ready.